That could be racist. Hi, everyone. Tim Kittrow, and you're listening to the Pie Factory Podcast here in downtown Milwaukee. Boom shakalaka. Oh, it's registering. Yay. Yay. You know, I'm going to raise the microphone just a little bit here. Microphone raising portion of the album. Learn to work the microphone. I'm feeling home. My wife stopped in Bourbonnet on the way back to go to Yannickies to get some food. Uh, one of the few nice things about that area is Yannickies. They have great root oh, beer. And, uh, you know, I never, ever, ever went to Yannickies. They were really good. I liked them. They, she would have gotten me a barbecue sandwich had she known they were on sale. I never even heard of them until about 10 years ago. Really? And I lived there from 1974 to 1986. Well, the thing is, yeah, I like, don't think the Bourbonnet location was there until Probably not. Long That's in a newer building. Yeah, because yeah, it was there when I went to ONU. Okay, hmm. yeah, because I think it was, they're, uh, they're, right near. It was right next to Kroger. I think their other location is deeper in Kankakee. Yeah, they've got one downtown. They think they had one in Moments. Hmm. I think they had three or four locations at one time. Me thinks that they may have actually been uh, dog and suds at one time. Really? Off. Huh. I think that's only my theory. The only thing I have to back that up is the design of the original building in downtown uh, Kankakee. Yannickies, your savings place. By the way, Yannickies, um, we can always use some sponsorship. <clears throat> if you're listening. If, if you're you not listening, we could still use your your sponsorship. And to all of our listeners, this is actually going to be a throwback podcast because, yes, once again, I do have a cough drop in my mouth. So, yeah, I'm not eating candy. I never eat candy during podcasting or when, I'm, when I was in radio. I would never eat. You know, I'd save that for the commercials, but... Sometimes you just have to have a cough drop, especially during this time of year. Especially cough drops, yes. So there you go. So yeah, yeah. it's not like whatever drugs you kids are doing these days. Whatever drugs your kids are doing these days, you bastards. So, ah, well, Sean, hi. Hi. What's your name? Oh, yeah. My you, name you, is Jimmy you said, D. You said my you name You know me, already. you love me. Actually, we didn't uh, introduce it. So, hi, everybody. Welcome to the Pipe. <clears throat> Hi, friends. Welcome to the Pie Factory Podcast. Pie Factory I'm, Podcast. I'm still working on my uh, Vic Sage impersonation. Ah, um, I was wondering about that, actually, if you were still going to yeah. work on that. Yeah, I'm still going to work on it. There you uh, go. All you got to do is be friendly and jovial, something that we aren't. No. Well, we suck. Yeah, we do, don't we? We're Cretans. Well, no, not technically. You're a Chicagoan and I'm a Morrison. Well, that's true. Am I really a Chicagoan, though? Because people argue that I'm not because I, did, I wasn't born here. You live there, that's what counts. Yeah, I've lived here for not quite 13 years. Let's put it this so. way. I would rather be called a Morrison <laughs> rather than a, a Plainfieldian. Of course, I went to, I was born in Joliet, but there were no, there were no plain hospitals in Plainfield at the time, so I didn't really have much choice. Yeah, that's very true. Well, I was born in Kankakee, but that's because there were no hospitals in Bourbonnais. And again, which would you rather be considered? A uh, Chicagoan or a Kankakeean? Or a Jolietan, a Chicagoan. Hell, you'd probably rather be considered a New Jerseyan than or a Kankakeean. Or an Ocean Grover. Yeah, Ocean Grover. That wave is near! <laughs> it's far! Elmo cut cheese! No. <laughs> no, you know who my favorite Sesame Street character is, really? Hmm. Guy Smiley. Oh, God, yes. You've got to love talk Guy show Smiley. Host, the game show host guy. <laughs> oh, I loved him. He was the, he was, he, yeah. Oh yeah. He was the master. You know what? I've forgotten over the years to get in touch 
um, with the people that created the uh, the Tickle Me Elmo dolls because I had a great oh, spinoff yes. uh, for this. And uh, you had two I, different I think ideas, was, actually. Yeah, there was, um, of course, there was um, Tickle Me Satan. Yes. You will bow down before your Dark Lord and, oh, no, oh, stop it, stop it. <laughs> and then there was um, Tickle Me Hitler. Uh, Sieg oh. Heyer, Sieg Heyer, you must commit to the, I don't remember oh, that. Das ist funny, ja. So, yeah. I remember I mean, Tickle I, Me Beavis. Oh, I forgot about that one. <laughs> stop it, stop it, stop it, bunghole. <laughs> Tickle Me Beavis. I would hey, actually buy that like last that. one. <laughs> I would buy that if somebody made a Tickle Me Beavis. I would pay good money for one, too. <laughs> oh, I'd pay bad money for it. Yeah, oh, good, bad. Don't have it's much choice, but hey. So, with all of that having so. been said and all that fun tomfoolery <laughs> out of the way. Uh, uh, speaking of tomfoolery, we are recording this the night of Tom Lehrer's 91st birthday. Oh. Tomfoolery, of course, was the uh, kind of sort of musical review that somebody put together back in the early 80s based on the music of Tom Lehrer because they thought he was dead and wouldn't have a problem getting permission to use it. But no, they were very wrong. The guy's still alive. So. <laughs> Oops. <Yep. laughs> so, Sean, yes. uh, what hast thou been up to? Oh, good grief. Thou ha- I, th- oh man. Um, could you, could you rephrase that in the form of a, of a not thou ish questions? I can't really. Oh, I think see. right now you, Sean, uh, person over there on the other end of the interweb, interwebs. Uh, what have you, Sean, been up to lately? Uh, or should I do it like Shatner? No, no, no. Oh, no. okay. Uh, what have I been up to lately? Uh, mm-hmm. weird stuff. Just trying, just trying to like go to bed and come home and, you know. Oh, those, yeah. Those that's have been my, really my weird. big goals in the past week. Just go home, go to bed. Oh yeah, Friday, Friday. Huh. Let me Friday, tell you, Friday, Friday. Let me tell you something, boy. Howdy. I might have mentioned before that the company that I work for was bought out by our biggest um, client. Client. Yes, thank you. And ergo, our clients are no longer our clients, but our coworkers. Well, we just inherited their four and a half day work week. I mean, we still have to work nine hours for four days if we want a half day on Friday, of course. But uh, so, of course, I jump at that opportunity. So. I leave work Friday at about one fifteen. Uh, not terribly late, you know. I was hoping to get out of there by one, but I stayed till one fifteen. I got out, ran down to the bike storage locker. I opened up the door, and there's my bike with a flat as a piece of paper tire. So I was not a happy camper. I went to uh, Village Cycle Center, who I hope will be sponsoring us with all the free press we've given them before and now. Uh, and they upsold me on a lifetime tire, tire replacement re- plan. repair replacement plan. Yeah, so I took advantage of that, got the tube taken care of. To be honest, I probably would do that too if I lived a lot closer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, get it. Get, seriously, if you can find a bike shop like nearby that does that, do it. It's so worth it. Well, here's the thing. While they were changing the tube, I was busy... Posting on Instagram on behalf of Autobiography of a Schnook, which is another podcast that I host. And uh, in the middle of a post, the tech came out and said, okay, your bike's done. I was like, oh, okay. So I grab my bike, I go outside, and I finish the post on Instagram, and then I hear, oh, geez. I was like, what? And I look, and there's my front tire flat again. So I drag the thing back in the store, and the guy's like, what? I was like, yeah. He's like, ah, I said, uh-huh. 
And so he's like, here. And I said, there. And he fixes it again, looks inside, gives it back and says, here. And I said, bye. And because I was hoping to get back home in a nice early hour, get some laundry in maybe, but it was already too late. Figure, well, I got to meet my wife for dinner, so I'll just go straight there and do some other things. Uh-huh. So I didn't get home. I left work at one fifteen. didn't get home until after 6, and I was a crabby little dauber. That sounds like a children's book. Yeah. A crabby little dauber. As read by Samuel L. Jackson. And Saturday, I took a little bike ride up to Evanston, because I like I like riding around Evanston. It's a very pleasant place. I got to get up to the city and ride around someday. That, but it sounds like it could be a fun time. It could be if you're not on the Lakefront Trail during the summer. You yeah. will uh, you You've will told lose me your, stories. I, I guarantee you, you of all people, you will lose your temper, and you will throw things. <laughs> You'll throw your own bike at people. But- I like riding the Evanston Lakefront Trail, even though that's mm-hmm. even more crowded, but at least people there aren't douchebags. And right along the lake is Northwestern University, and it's a really cool place to ride around. So after I was done over there, now, those of you who don't know, who don't follow Jimmy G or me on Facebook personally, aside from this podcast, somebody posted a record cover of a parakeet training record. <laughs> and I saw the address on it. There was the address of the studio was right there on the cover. It was like 1563 Sherman Avenue, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And I said, I got to go check that place out. So I was, while I was up in Evanston, I rode over to that address and the recording studio where it was recorded is no longer a recording studio. It is now Midnight Pig Tap Room. Ooh. So I pulled over, took a picture of it for posterity, and uh, I was on my merry way back home. And by the way, uh, Midnight Pig, you are also welcome to sponsor us. Uh, details, uh, if you want to do the Patreon way, will be uh, at the end of our podcast episode. You know what, you should, know what we should do? It's we should go over there uh, sometime, you and me, and uh, ask him to play that parakeet record. And like, what the hell is this crap? It was recorded here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but which side? The, the sexual harassment side or the lobotomy May West side? Yes. Because one side, it's like... You beautiful. Jeez, teach your parakeet to sexually harass somebody. And on the other side, it's like, Come up and see me sometime. The thing is, I don't know how effective those things were. Okay, I can tell you how effective that sort of thing is. Oh? My mom used to have a talking parakeet or mind a bird or whatever it was called. And um, they would order pizza all the time. And my mom would always ask the bird, Susie, want pizza? And before too long, she would say, Susie, want pizza? Susie want pizza. Her boyfriend, who she was living with at the time, had a friend that would call on the answering machine all the time when they were not home and start swearing into the answering machine. And the bird <laughs> eventually developed a blue streak. And so they learned to turn the volume down on the answering machine. <laughs> so those things work. That's beautiful. Well, thing is, I know that because somebody posted a YouTube link. Somebody found that record mm-hmm. on YouTube. And it was scratchy as all hell, so somebody obviously played that thing and a lot. that record is only like volume three or four of a series, and I can't find the other ones. Well, I'll keep my eye out. Uh, and what kills me is though, each side, it's only three minutes mm-hmm. per side. Not even so a 40. I don't know. Maybe just about a 45. Well, there's a 45 version and a 78 okay. version, according to the sleeve. You know so, what would be great yeah. is to get the whole set of them, if you can find them, and then just like make bizarre 
phrases and stuff and sentences or whatever, just by, you know, cutting and doing a lot of cutting and pasting. Kind of like Ice Ice Brimley, how they did that. Except with the bird. I just wish we could get the soundboard working. Yeah, well, we'll see. Because we could drop in my favorite one, but I'll have to have Hyde drop it in manually right here. Why not take up a collection and send him to Cleveland? Who said that? Who said that? You know... Well, no, that wouldn't work, though, because these are USB microphones. If these were not USB microphones, I'd ha have an easy enough solution for a, a soundboard, and that's just pop in the uh, an app on my phone, uh, which, interestingly enough, uh, uh, Zurb over at Zurbinatorland and all his many podcasts uh, uses the same app I used to use on my tablet for a uh, soundboard, and, huh. but, uh, but use like a Y-splitter on the output for that and put it into the input on the microphone easy enough to do but the only problem is like i said these are usb microphones and yeah. they work a lot differently than a, like a xlr mic oh yeah yeah usb headsets and microphones basically have their own sound card built into them that's the way they work and so yeah that's what's been going on we've been uh i've been riding my bike and we're talking about a parakeet record with parakeet misspelled on it by mm -hmm. the way and what about playing video games? Honestly, except for what we're talking about this episode. Since we last recorded, I haven't played a damn thing except Cubert's Cubes. Uh, Gee, there's a shock. And because I lent out uh, my Cubert's Cubes machine to the uh, local Boy Scout troop, I had to run it in MAME. Mm. They still haven't given it back, huh? No, no. Mm. And I'm ever so close to getting 400000 on that thing. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I've I've actually man, once it get once you get to the levels where all the cubes will change if you hop on them, they don't lock in place. It gets kind of maddening, but I'm slowly developing a technique to actually get it to work. It's all about the technique. Yep. It's not about the size of the boat, it's about the motion of the ocean. And it's not about the Benjamins, it's about technique. Mhm. Mm Ooh, I I can't wait till till uh, Midwest Gaming Classic cuz I'm going to go over cuz usually Doc brings the rarer things. Last year, he had Cubert's Cubes over there. Oh, I love that. I, I might have mentioned this before on the podcast, but last year at Midwest Gaming Classic, I went down to where uh, uh, Galloping Ghost was, and I played Cubert's Cubes. And next to me on my left was James White playing Faster, Harder, More Challenging Cubert. One of the most entertaining moments of my life happened. I watched him rage quit that game. I, I mean... No disrespect meant to poor Jim White, but man, I that had me cracking up so much just watching him rage quit that game. And I told him that too. He's like, ah, oh, no, no offense taken. Yeah, but, I'm looking. Yeah. This must have been a joke. But you're mentioning the Galloping Ghost. You heard about the Galloping Ghost Garage? I was thinking the same thing. It's got to be a joke. Yeah, I. They did post about it on, uh, I think, on April Fool's Day. Oh no. No, they didn't first post about it on April 1st. They posted about it on March 25th, which is, I guess, close enough. But, um, 9428 Ogden Avenue. I think this is a real thing. Because this just seems too kind of out there for him. But then again, one place uh, we've been to basically is a garage. So That is true. Let's see, what was the address again? It was 9428. That's currently Joe's Garage, which a lot of people, I'm sure, appreciate the name of. Oh, of course. Oh, across, uh, well, not across the street, but it's uh, it's across the street from the uh, the restaurant that's, uh, I think they moved. 
Yeah, they must have moved by now. They definitely closed the original location. I think they're in their new place now. Oh, it's yeah. not going to stop me from going there, though. Carson, this uh, street view says it's a uh, budget rent-a-car. Tony's. Tony's. Tony's is the restaurant we're thinking of. Well, if you look at the building itself, it says Joe's Garage. Yeah, I see that. Oh, there's a v- there's a like a Grateful Dead van right there. So, yeah, I guess it's a real thing. This is an older street view, obviously, so it wouldn't have it on there. So Galloping Ghost has an arcade, a pinball arcade, a uh, reproduction maintenance shop for video games. Good Lord, They have gym. The, uh, the gym, and now they have a garage. It's like Galloping Ghost Avenue there. Seriously, Doc is just going to own all of Brookfield at some point. He might as well. He's like, running for mayor, everybody move out. We're going to wake up one morning and see commercials for Galloping Ghost Zoo. <laughs> Galloping Ghost Field. <laughs> Galloping Ghost Zoo. You know what? Galloping Ghost. I would not be surprised to see him at some point actually sponsor an attraction at the zoo. Yeah, right. Dude. Oh, they should do a tie-in with the game Zookeeper. Oh. I mean, obviously, they'd have to get permission from Taito and all that, but still, that would be perfect. Ho, ho, ho. Hey, kick back a little money to Taito. I'm sure they'd be in for it. Oh, hells yeah. Remember, you heard it from here first before Doc thought of it. You did. Of course, you go to Doc, I imagine he'll say, oh, yeah, I've been thinking about that, actually. (laughs) And I guess, um, what have I been up to? Well. Yes, up to what have you been? Well, I've not been riding my bicycle because I signed up for like a ride every day in April challenge and two nights into it. I developed bursitis and my knee is all uh, swollen and I can't really do a hell of a lot right now. Uh, um, I'm on prednisone, which is nice and uh, nice and delicious. So when it's swelling's not going down. So sometime after we get back from uh, Midwest Gaming Classic, I'm going to probably have to have my knee drained to get some get some uh, steroid shots. Yeah. Which last time I had bursitis, I went right to the emergency room and not immediate care, but emergency rooms, uh, we're not going to go there. I have not been riding my bicycle, even though I've been wanting to. And weather's actually been halfway decent the last several days. It's going to go downhill for a few days, but then go back. But then go back up. Yeah, it's still windy AF, at least for my strength, I guess. Yeah. Oh, I found out that I can't really rely on the wind speed from the local uh, weather station. Me too. Uh, uh, not, I mean, the, uh, like, not weather station, but the one website I really like, uh, gooselikeweather.com, because... The way that they have their thing, their uh, their weather sensor oriented, no matter how they how they mount it, it's still got a lot of things blocking the wind. So I just go off of the the wind speeds from the airport out here now. Which um, one thing I like about living out here though is I can adjust my rides to deal with the wind. Uh, mm. So just uh, just a couple of short little, or just basically one of the routes that I have. I just reverse the direction of it, and um, I'll have wind pushing me and uh, trees blocking me from the wind uh, on the other side of the loop. So yeah. so that works. Um, I still got to go through like three or four miles of wind, but it's better than going 20 miles through wind. So I'll take mm. it. So anyway, I can't ride my bicycle currently. Uh, I can't go hiking either, which uh, is a shame because I yeah. uh, just the other day drove over to Starved Rock and uh, State Park and volunteered to uh, help uh, you know help during the busy seasons. So, uh, yeah, trail, uh, help people find their way around the trails and pick I'm, up garbage. I'm going to go there someday. You're going to come up there with, with me this to. year at some point, this summer at some point. It's amazing, but be prepared to do a lot of walking upstairs. Somebody I'm married to, I'm not going to name names, doesn't want to go there though. Oh, well. So there's that. But as far as games, I've been playing, a, I haven't really been playing so many game, a, a specific game so much, but, um, uh, 
I've been doing some testing. I don't know if I've mentioned it, but there was a thread on Atari Age about seeing if the 8-bit-do, 8-bit-do, however you want to pronounce it, line of uh, Bluetooth controllers will work on an Atari 7800. And, oh, yes. And, Do tell. Um, I did have to purchase a new... Uh, uh, it, it will work. You have to have, like, the Edladen Seagull 78, which, unfortunately, I had to get a new one because uh, the one that I have just was not registering down for some reason. Hmm. I suppose I could have contacted uh, Edladen and, you know, have them see if they could fix it or something. But, I, you know what? They're not that expensive, so I just bought a new one. And then I had to purchase the... Uh, the Sega Genesis Bluetooth dongle from 8BitDo. I already have the controller, which is the most expensive part of the proposition. And lo and behold, it works, and it works really well. Hmm. Now, not a solution for Robotron, because you'd have to have two controllers. Hold it, hold it, hold oh. it. This week in Robotron. So anyway, it's not right, a solution. As you were. <laughs> handsome? Why, thank you. Harry the Handsome Butcher. But, uh, you know, it's not really a solution for Robotron because you'd still need two sticks. And if you're going to do this, you still have to, uh, you'd have to have two controllers and all that. So it won't work with that. But um, I did find that there is a problem with Xevious on the 7800 with this really? setup. However, that's a thing with the way Xevious is programmed, however. And that's because Xevious was designed so that you could either play uh, play it with using just one button on a standard, you know, Atari 2600 type joystick, or with a 7800 with the dual using both buttons, one for blasting, one for zapping. And you can toggle that with the difficulty switches up front of the unit. However, if you just plug the controller in, the 7800 will also automatically detect it. And the reason why it won't work on the 7800 is I mean it'll work you know as if it were a single button controller. Don't get me wrong, it will work, but um, the reason why it won't work on uh, can't do two buttons on the on the eight bit though controller with Xevious is because of the time it takes to pair the controller to the dongle. Hmm. And the thing is, once you power the game up, it's automatically detected if it's uh, a single button or a two button joystick. And so that's the only reason it won't work on Xevious. I'm I'm hoping somebody can uh, get a version that will like uh, def- that will remove that check so they could use it with this. Indeed. But uh, if they don't, it they don't. I it's still a solid version of Xevious, and I like it. I'll just use a regular type you know controller with it. But that having been said, I got curious about if this setup will work on other systems. Now, I have a Sega Master System. I do have a Genesis, but I don't have uh, any games or a power supply. Do I have the power supply for it? No, I'll have to check that out. I'll have to do that before Midwest Gaming Classic so I can see what I need to get. But anyway, so I have the Sega Master System. It's all hooked up here, and I got to thinking, I wonder if the Bluetooth dongle will work on the Sega Master System. So... Obviously, I don't need the, at this point, the Ed Ladin, so I just plugged the dongle right in. I love saying the word dongle, 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 dongle. dongle. Uh, so I plugged the dongle right into the master system, and lo and behold, it works beautifully. Oh, By the, the way, people, lo is spelled L-O, not L-O-W. Yep. Just had to get that out. Yep. No, I, I totally get you. I, I, I feel you, my man. I feel you. Ew. No, I feel you. I feel you is my man, even though she's a woman, but she's still my man. But anyway, um, it works really well, um, and of course you have the choice of using either the direct the, the D pad or the little analog thumbstick. Also on the seventy eight hundred, it detects both of them, so that's kind of cool. 
And then I'm thinking, what other things around here do I have that have the nine pin? Uh-huh. I'm looking around. My vision adapter. Aha. Uh-huh. And the vision adapter has native Sega Genesis support. So I'm like, hmm. Well, is that what you're like? Yeah, hmm. Now, I don't have to use it on my PC because my PC has native Bluetooth support in it. But I'm just curious because if other people have a PC that have this adapter, you know, and the PC itself doesn't have Bluetooth, this could be a, a, a decent solution if you want to use 8-bit dues controllers. And 8-bit dues controllers are some of the highest quality... Th- no, no, no. Let me rephrase that. They are the highest quality Chinese product I've ever used in my life. They're By the way, 8-bit do, 8-bit do, whatever. Uh, you're welcome to sponsor us. Yes. Oh, we've, I've done nothing but sing that company's praises. And again, it worked amazingly well. And um, mapped all the Genesis buttons to the 8-bit do. Now, I'm using the uh, NES 30 Pro gamepad. Oh, it looks like it needs to be uh, charged up because it's blinking red. But they do have a standard Sega Genesis style pad as well. But this NES one works well. It's just that the way that the button layout is, it's a little awkward. But um, it still works really, really well. And uh, I highly, highly, highly recommend doing this if you're the sort of peer person that uh, you know wants to use a Bluetooth, a wireless controller with a classic system. It works. The only thing I haven't tried it with is just a straight-up 2600 game on my 7800. And... Hmm. If it There's no reason for, it shouldn't work. As I say, with everything else working the way it was, I was especially impressed with the way it worked with the Vision adapter. It should work fine with that. It should work fine with a regular 2600, too. Yeah. But, you know, I like to test this stuff out just in case. Um, now, I don't know if there's any sort of, like, voltage problems or whatever, but I highly doubt it because it was... That's the one thing I love about 8-BitDo is they got these Wi-Fi. They got or these, uh, the what do they call it, the 2.8 gigahertz or whatever wireless controllers they got the uh also the bluetooth controllers like i have the dong they make these dongles for the classic systems you can get dongle. a dongle for the nes the snes uh the nes or snes classic minis even then you get the nine pin adapter you could use with getting all the, the correct dongles you could be using these controllers on all of your classic systems yes but link in the show notes link in the show notes Oh, wow, that was another root beer that my daughter uh, gave me. Um, Good Lord. But the um, yeah, the other one had like maybe a quarter inch of root beer in it. Jeez, I should have had a daughter. I'd have root beer right now. This was all started by a thread on Atari Age in the 7800 forum. And uh, link in the show notes again. Ugh, how convenient. Well, isn't that convenient? Mm. Well, apparently some of us would play with our Ataris rather than going to church. Mm. So... That's what I've been doing, and I've been actually having a lot of fun hooking that thing up to all of my different devices here and just seeing what it can and can't do, and so far, it's all can-do. The 8-Bit Dough Company has that can-do spirit. Or is it can-do? Ooh, good question. So I'm having another bite of my sauce bun here. Mm. Sauce bun. That just sounds sounds dirty. That was my nickname in college, by the way. Oh, really? What was I saying a little bit ago about not eating while recording? I don't know. I was saying I generally don't do it. I don't remember waking up this morning. That's my line. Yeah, but you're not using it, so someone has to. That's a good point. Yeah. So with all of that, oh banter. Do we banter, have any uh, anything to any news, addenda, errata? Um, yeah. Let's uh, bring in the uh, love theme from addenda and errata. We should get an acapella version of that going. We should get pentatonics to come in and do the. No. Yeah, actually, I agree. No, but 
I hate so, I am so over that whole acapella group where some of the singers try to make the instrument sounds. No. No, that's done. That was over in 1995. That was over after Bobby McFerrin did Don't Worry, Be Happy. But, oh, man, I, I got to find a copy of Simple Pleasures, by the way. I, I, I think I know where I can find. I, I, um, maybe Thursday night. I know where to go. I know where to go. Uh, Here's but, a little hey, show I As wrote. for Addenda and Rata. Five back three. And um, let Be me see. Happy. Lock and Chase. Oh. This goes, I don't, how. But what do you, the oh. listener, think? So the listener uh, doesn't know. See, I don't think we mentioned this at all, but Lock and Chase, the beginning of the game, when you start the game, mm-hmm. that little tune that plays, that's from Bach's Brandenburg Concerto. Oh, you didn't know five. that? Actually, I didn't know that either. I didn't know. I just, I discovered that accidentally. And I was like, oh my God, I know that tune. <laughs> so, wow, there's a little thing for, uh, oh, I should add that to the Wikipedia entry and to the arcadehistory.com entry. One other thing, I think this is, I don't know whether this counts as addenda or errata, but we got a comment from uh, Nicholas Coltrara, if I'm saying the name correctly, sorry about that, uh, and see if I'm saying it wrong. But this goes back to episode 90, actually. He's commenting on when you were talking about Fantasy Star. Mm -hmm. He says, it is totally possible to beat the demon in the mayor's office if you are leveled up enough. You get 10 experience points for your trouble. And get to continue your game. It's still a dream in the end. Oh, spoiler! Come on, Nick. <laughs> anyway, uh, I've done it back in the day. De- back. Oh yeah, we can say that again. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Thanks, Ferg. Uh, I've done it back in the day with no cheats. Have to try to do it in Fantasy Star Remake for the PS2. <laughs> so that's what uh, he has to say about that. Dream in the end. The gentle, relaxing suppository. Yeah, that was actually left on the uh, the WordPress blog that powers the podcast. Right, that so, we hardly ever check out. Yeah, because we, yeah. Sorry, we keep forgetting sorry about that we that. didn't get yep. back to you so long on that. We just kind of, honest, honestly. Well, thank you for your uh, your comment. Very thank you. Yes, yes absolutely. Because it helps fill in time. <laughs> All right, so that's what? The podcast that's run by now? you, the people. Yes. <sighs> and look how excited that makes Sean. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. If I had my camera on, and if he had his on, this would be kind of weird. Uh, yeah, I believe in saving bandwidth. <laughs> Safe right. bandwidth. Safe bandwidth brand condoms. I think that's all I've, that's all the errata addenda that I have. How about uh, you there, uh, uh, G comma Jimmy? I do not have anything. Oh. And Literally. Hey, just to- just a reminder on the off chance that, well, on the extremely likely chance that this episode actually comes out after Midwest Gaming Classic, but uh, on the off chance that it comes out before, uh, we are going to be at Midwest Gaming Classic in the vendor hall and promoting our podcast, of course, and because we're nothing if not attention whores, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. And we're giving away an Ed Laden, uh, twin Super Twin 78. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, you, you can, uh, come over to our table and get the rules and everything. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, you get to take that home with you if you, uh, win and yay. Yay. Ha ha. Alrighty. So that's closing the door on the Dunda and Arata and, uh, right. and my sauce bun. So, uh, mm. I think we should probably talk about some games now. Oh, geez. I just oh, dropped sure. the French fry. We might, we, we, we might as well. Swell. We might hey, as well. We might as swell. Yeah, sure. that's a swell thing to do. And doodly doodly. Oh gosh, you know what? I band I've just been starting to listen to is uh, the uh, metal band uh, Oakley Dokley. You've heard of them? Never heard of them. It's a speed th- slash thrash metal band, and 
the whole theme is Ned Flanders. Oh, jeez. They dress up like Ned Flanders, and uh, the, and they have uh, they have this great video called this great song called Reneducation. Yeah. <laughs> See, I don't like metal at all, but I might have to check it out. Yes, um, I've only heard like three or four of their songs, and so far I'm really, really liking what I'm hearing. So it's worth it because it's a curiosity. But um, tis. So and I just found out the piece of information that I needed to continue the podcast because I have a feeling that uh, we're going to choose to start with uh, with my game, and that is uh, Zybots. Oh, okay. Zybots. Ah, uh, uh, no, no. Zybots. Uh-huh. Zybots. Atari, 1987. This is widely considered the first 3D third-person perspective game. Really? Even before Wolfenstein 3D. I'm sure there's probably other, there's some nitpicking. Like, I'm sure maybe you could consider, like, games like Tunnel Hunt, uh, that sort of thing. Um, correction. First 3D third person perspective um maze type game not because i mean you had games like buck rogers and afterburner and stuff like that but this is the, the first of the the doom wolfenstein 3d style of a third person perspective game this game is one you can play two players at the same time and um player one is major rock hardy and player two is captain ace gun and uh each player has their own two-way joystick it uh, it's sort of like the one for Ikari Warriors, where you could twist the knob to change perspective. Uh, the only diff- oh, okay. Yeah, the yeah, only difference with this is that it's Spot it the guy back. who didn't play the actual arcade cabinet because he couldn't. Well, it happens. But the um, but unlike those, it springs back to a neutral p- p- uh, position. It's uh, kind of more like that um, Namco actually had a, a one of those plug-and-play units, uh, one of those Pac-Man ones. Oh, uh, yeah, the pole position. The pole position one that actually did that as well. So it's comparable to that. There are two buttons. One is your fire button, and the other one is your um, zap button, which is also your game start button. And the object of the game is basically to find the exits in a series of mazes. Like every 10 levels, uh, you go off a guy called the Master Zybot, which for a short period of time was one of my handles on one of the local BBSs. I don't think I used it that long. Um, Maybe not that widely either, but I do remember using it, but... At uh, any rate, the game is over when your player loses all of his energy. And I say his because both characters in the game are men. It's a sexist game. But um, the screen is divided up into five portions. In the top left, you have uh, Rock Hardy's status screen. In the top right, you have Ace Gun's uh, status screen, where it shows your score, uh, your health, and any power-ups you bought, which we'll get to in a second. Right between them is a map of the maze you're in. And in the lower left corner is Rock Hardy's uh, perspective of the maze that he's in. And in the lower right is Ace Gunn's perspective, you know, first third person perspective of the maze that he's in. Which, well, you're both in the same maze, but there you go. Uh, You lose about 2 to 3% of your energy in the maze each second you're alive. So it's one of those where your health is slowly going down. If you get hit by any enemies, uh, it removes 10% of your energy per hit. If you get hit, however, with a saucer that goes kamikaze on your ass, it'll take out 25% of your energy when you get hit. Oh, yes, you also lose some energy by using the zapper, which the only thing the zapper does, it doesn't kill the enemies. It just stuns them for a little bit. Very stunned. There's only one reason you really should be using the zapper, but we'll get to that in a little bit here. Enemies in the game, you have several different ones. You have uh, saucers, warriors, guardians, tanks. You're welcome. Oh, not a problem. And something called flies. I don't know if they're super, but uh, they are fly. And saucers and warriors are worth 200. The guardians are worth 500. Tanks are worth 300, unless they have front armor, in which case they're worth 400. 
and they have flies, which are worth 600 points. And depending on the color of each of these uh, determines the number of hits they take to destroy. Like if you have, say, a... Oh, a bright red warrior, he would take three hits to destroy. A regular, or a red warrior, two hits to destroy. Dark red warrior, one hit to destroy. So that's the down, that's the down low on that. But um, there's also, oh, and I'm, I'm sorry, it's uh, the Master Zybots every 15 levels, and then appears every 10 levels thereafter. But uh, Master Zybots, a different situation. To destroy him, there's like six or seven laser guns on the front of him. You have to destroy each one of those. I'm sorry, there are six lasers, not six or seven, there are six. Every time you defeat a, a Master Zybot, the first time you get 250,000 points times the number of times you've beat the Master Zybots. So if you've met him two times, uh, you'll get 500,000 points, so on and so forth. So at plus five coins. So you'll get five coins. Oh, I forgot to mention that there are health pods and coins and keys Ooh. in the maze. And then the saucers can move them around the maze on you. So uh, that's kind of irritating, but there is that. Continuing on with the Zybot, Master Zybot uh, bonuses, after level 105 and every 80 levels thereafter, the bonus resets back to 500,000 points. And then the bonus at that point will be 500,000 times the number of times you take on the Zybot from the last reset. And reset levels are at 185, 265, 345, etc. And all bonuses do max out at 2,500,000 points before they reset back to 500,000 points again. After every sequence, because I believe it does happen also after the Master Zybot, uh, you'll come up to a supply store screen. Remember I briefly mentioned coins? Well, you can earn coins in the game by picking them up or getting them as a bonus in uh, fighting the Master Zybot and there are other ways to earn them. They are divided into two different items, permanent items and temporary items. Now, remember I was saying a little bit ago how there's like a status screen where it shows all the stuff you bought. The items you have, there's like two lines. Permanent items are always in the top line and the temporary items are always in the bottom line. First of all, for permanent items, and these are the guys you should probably go with fat, uh, first off, is uh, extra speed, extra armor, extra shot speed, extra shot power. Ace Gun now has extra shot speed, extra shot power, extra zap power. Those all cost seven coins, and they all start. You can purchase any of these starting at level one, and you can buy up to four of them. So you can buy up to four extra speeds if you need them or whatever, and you keep those throughout the entire game until the game, until, you know, you run out of energy game over. Temporary items, you can only buy for one level. And you have extra vitality, which costs two, and you can go up to, you can buy up four of those, that you can get those on level one. Two shots, wall mapper and monster mapper, you can all, all cost one coin, and you can buy up to three of those, and those start on level eight. You can buy a guard mapper, which uh, you can get, uh, as you see, costs one coin. You can buy up to three of those, you get those on level four. A warning arrow, which that's one nice thing I think this game has. It's one nice feature is there will be early on a warning arrow that will show you where the enemies are in relation to your character. However, after the first couple levels, you have to buy them. But they cost one and you can get up to two of those. And they'll start on level eight. After that, you get five reflected hits or energy pack for five coins each. You can only buy one of those. You can buy a key. You can obviously buy one at a time. You can buy 50% more energy, which costs one coin, and you can buy only one at a time, and those last four, you can only get those first appear on level one. When your energy meter goes below 50%, it turns yellow. Below 20%, it turns red. Some mazes will have fake walls that can be shot out. Now, remember how I said pretty much don't use your zap button? Your, your, no. Your zap button? Oh, that, yes. Yeah. Well, sometimes there are like blue barrels in some hallways, and if you use your zap button, sometimes they will reveal a, a shot power-up, which 
Normally, you shoot only one bullet at a time, but uh, sometimes you'll pick them up and get up to three bullets shot at a time. So it's Ooh. worth it to do it every now and then. I, I think those are permanent items, too. You carry those to the end of the game. But uh, so that's something to work out, look out for. If you have a few coins for like at the end of the level to replenish your energy, I say go for it. And, you know, firepower sometimes does beat energy. So there you go. But uh, yeah, there are also teleporters in the in some mazes where they'll transport the player to different parts of the maze. Now, some mazes will have additional exits where you can warp to different levels, like on level one. I think it's like at the top of the maze, there's a there's a door that's locked. If you go through there, you fight a couple of enemies, then you go through that exit. That one will take you to level four. And if you take that warp, you get 75,000 points. You'll get a bonus of 25 coins, and your energy will return to 100%. If you use the warp on level four, which I don't really remember where that is, again, you'll get 75,000 points, 25 coins, and 100% energy. Now, remember, this is a two-player simultaneous game. First, the good news. Well, there's actually not really bad news here, but... Each player is immune to every uh, to the player's other shots, so don't worry about shooting the other guy, unlike, say, Wizard of War. Uh. And also, if all the Zybots are destroyed, the first player that exits the maze gets a bonus, and that is a 5,000-point bonus. So after that, if one of the players enters the warp, both players will warp to that level, regardless of the other player's locations. So if you're on level 1 and you take that alternate exit, that warp there to level 4, you're both go to level four. You're always both on the same level regardless. So there's that. And if one of the player dies and the other makes it through that particular level, the other player is brought back to the next level with 50% energy. So that's a feature I like about this game, even though I've never played it two players at the same time. The player does lose all the items they collected on that level. And then, of course, both players die. Game is over. The human has been neutralized. Yay. Oh, and that bit of trivia I was looking for about the game's release, I actually already had in my notes, just not where I normally put it. So it was released in November of 1987 by Atari Corp. Uh, 1,752 units were produced in the USA. The selling price was $2,295. Okay, I've not found any substantiation for this, but this game was created by Ed Logg, so this might be, this is plausible, but it was originally supposed to be Gauntlet 3. And if you look at the way that the game plays, it's basically you're in a maze trying to get out, and you got power-ups, and this is basically a 3D version of Gauntlet. There's just no way around it. Interesting. So, a couple of other uh, things here. Uh, starting on level 20 and every 10 thereafter, the uh, the maze is completely dark. You can't see anything. So, you gotta watch out for that. And Watch snakes? Watch out for snakes. Yes, uh, thank you. And on the first level, if you don't collect any money, supposedly, I haven't gotten a chance to test this out, supposedly on the first level, if you don't collect any money, you'll get massive bonus points and lots of cash. Suppose I, I haven't tested that. Um, I should, but I haven't. As far as ports for this game, this only had one really home, real home console uh, release, and that was the Atari Lynx. Uh, however, it was released on the Amiga and the Atari ST. I had it on the Atari ST, and it was in Europe on the C64. There are some prototypes. There was one for the NES, which there's footage of that available on uh, YouTube. And supposedly there was a Genesis Mega Drive version in the works, but I haven't found any anything other than a couple of brief mentions of that. No video or nothing, so it could be a lost prototype. And that's really all I have to say about Zybots. Uh, when I first started re- researching this one, I've, well, first of all, where have I played it first time? I want to think it was Gala Lanes in Naperville. Na- or was it Naperville Aurora? I think it's Naperville there in Naperville, Illinois, back like right soon after it came out. And um, I've seen it here or there, but it wasn't a really widely distributed game, as you can tell by the number of units. They ex- expected this game to be like this huge thing because it was so technically advanced with the controls and the graphics and all that. And there was a lot of buzz around it, but 
players didn't really flock to it too much, unfortunately. Yeah. And um, so that's the first place I played it. I think you already tipped your hat to uh, <laughs> to this one. I never played it except for uh, there was one time somebody lent me a Zybots game, but I couldn't get it through the door. So while I let it sit on the porch, I ran it in MAME. Oh, really? Yeah. Now that's yeah. an interesting tale. I imagine the arcade games have to be a pain in the ass to get up to your apartment since you don't have an yeah, elevator. Yeah, yeah. And that is Zybots. Indeed, Zybots. Oh, and you man. sound so interested. I sound so awake, don't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, the thing is, the first thing I think of when I play Zybots is not Gauntlet. Mm-hmm. But instead, I think that it's, say, Doom meets Berserk. Mm-hmm. The whole time I was playing this, I was like, this is Berserk. I know I can see that. I can definitely see and, that. And the thing is, like, I was having a lot of fun playing it. Really? I've I don't really have much more to say other than it was fun. I really I really liked it. I could see myself playing it at a arcade, uh, providing that I ever have an opportunity. It's not like any arcades around me actually have it, unfortunately. Uh, the only exception being um, maybe uh, Pixel Blast or Galloping Ghost. Hey, Pixel or Blast has Emporium. It? Really? Yep. I must have missed that last time I was there. Of course, it's been and a couple of months. Me- and Mega Play in Mishawaka has it. Mishawaka's not too far from here. Oh, there's an arcade we should make a trip out to. That's not a terrible drive. It's not. No, it's, it, that's uh, actually where my Amiga 600 came from. Oh. Well, there you go. Let's go. I'm um, sorry. Sorry, uh, Vertical Blank, guys. It was not a 1200. It was a 600. <laughs> yeah. We were in Indianapolis checking out college in uh, um, Indianapolis. And um, when we get back... I saw a post from uh, uh, from that Rupert's uh, Rupert's Kids Arcade down there. I hadn't checked up on their page recently, and then I realized, you know what? We, our hotel was not far from there. Maybe maybe huh. maybe fifteen miles. I'm like, I could, we had to kind of made a stop down there. Yeah, what you gonna do? Oh well, it happens. I'm, I still want to make a trip down there because I really like what that guy does and how he uh, spends a lot of time and everything he does is like for kids. How can you uh, hate that? You know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, this game's got. I guess it's uh, lost some luster with me over time, but uh, I still enjoy it. My only real problem with it is it just seems like your guy moves too slow. I can kind of dig what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, if it was a little faster, maybe I'd like it a little bit more, but it's it's, it's a solid shooter, and one of the reasons why people didn't really enjoy it too much is because they didn't realize about the, um, the way that the, um, the controls worked, which I guess is understood, but they tried to do everything they can to tell you how to do it, even in the attract mode, they... T- told you to twist it, and it was all over the control panel and everything, and I think it's on the bezel even. I guess some people, for the very first time they played Akari Warriors, didn't know the joystick rotated either, but uh, I kind of yeah, like that too. as a solution uh, for some games. Um, it would, that wouldn't really work well for Tron, because that's a different beast altogether, but uh, it just, it's just a slower game than I remember it being, and um, I don't hate it at all. Not by a long shot, I still like yeah, it, but me, the slowness kind of knocks also- it down a point for me. So then if it knocks it down a point or a continue, I guess, what would be your continue rating? My continue, I think, would be a three. Three continues out of five. Yeah. I would agree with that. And the thing is, it's really crazy because there are some games that I say, I really like this game. I'm going to give it a three. Or some games that I'm like, eh, it's okay. I'll give it a three. Mm-hmm. I just think I need to spend more time with it. That's all there is yeah, to and, it, really. And, and that's a fair assessment. I mean, I had a, I did something like that recently with the game, and I can't remember which one that was. I think it was Pigskin. Mm. Yeah, Pigskin, I gave it a three because I couldn't really rate it as highly as I had because of my extremely limited time playing it. Oh, we didn't talk about scores. Hey. Uh, I was hoping you'd forget about that. I almost but, did. Uh, 
because I just want to go to bed. But I guess I have to talk about scores. Well, so, I want to go uh, to bed too. I got to get up at four. Yeah. Huh. Thought I had it bad at five, but oh well. Uh, so uh, the Twin Galaxies high score. Now the thing is, Twin Galaxies uh, tracks it at difficulty level five, and John McAllister has that high score with four hundred fifty thousand, and that was verified September nineteenth, two thousand seventeen, via the Twin Galaxies scoring and adjudication process. Basically, it means you upload a video of your gameplay and proof that you're playing on a real machine, and everybody votes as to whether or not it was legit. And Orcade.com actually tracks both Difficulty 3 and Difficulty 5. Difficulty 3, Edward Lee, I'm assuming not the former mayor of San Francisco, a former because he's uh, dead, uh, but he scored 416,700 on February 7th at 2000, no, February 7th, 2015, at the Galloping Ghost Arcade. And difficulty five, that record on Orcade.com, A-U-R-C-A-D-E, by the way, is held by Joel Hedge. He scored significantly lower than uh, J.P. McAllister. He scored, uh, Joel scored 160, uh, let me re-say that, 166,900. And that was on June 5th, 2004, during Fun Spot 6, which I am... Just going on a limb and going to guess that that happened at Fun Spot in, uh, was it New Hampshire, I think? Yep. Yeah. So those are the record scores as of uh, the moment that we are recording this particular episode. So as of this morning, that's what it is. So yeah. There we go. <sighs> it's worth All right, it's, so we're done, right? We're done with with Zybots, which means we got another game we got to talk about. Oh, sh- crap. Okay. Um, okay, well and I have to say that yeah. no matter what my review for this next game, it gets one point. It gets one continue additional just for the title alone. I do like the title, which is Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters. Aha! Escape uh-huh. from the Planet of the Robot Monsters. Ah, That's the longest title that we've uh, talked about so far, if I'm I not mistaken. I do believe. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that's another... Uh, I was going to say it's in another Atari game, but just let's be... Atari totally, Corp. totally. Atari Games Corporation. Yes, which is a totally for, separate Atari entity at this point. Yeah. And from what I can tell, it came out in July of 1989. Uh, we don't normally talk a lot about this, but I do just want to go over a couple of things here. Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters uses two Motorola 68,000 processors Ooh. at 7 megahertz. So two of those things. So basically, you have two Amiga processors in there. And a classic 6502. So you have like two Amigas and a Commodore 64 in the same machine, basically. And something that I noticed, I would doubt this is the case, but I'm wondering if this might be the first Atari arcade game that does not use a pokey for sound. Most of the game sounds come from a Yamaha YM2151, and there's speech synthesis in the game, and that is provided by a Texas Instruments TMS5220. And yeah, this a lot of games that Atari put out around this time had like liked to use speech because what was there was uh, the Gauntlet games used speech, Paperboy, uh, uh, Zybots used Yamaha twenty one fifty one. Did it use Zybots had speech right? Yeah, yeah it, does. it does. So many Atari arcade games at the time used speech. Uh, APB just mm-hmm. thought about that one too. And one thing I got to say about the sound, something that I really noticed is that I'm going to say just generalizationing. And yes, generalizationing is a proper gerund, mm-hmm. but it seems to me that games with the Atari name on them, like produced by a company called Atari, 
after the video game crash seemingly all use the same credit sound. I think Gauntlet, like Zybot. That, that bong yeah, that kind of sound, I, yeah. I think Klax used it. Paperboy used it, I think. And I, I don't know, but that's a very common sound in Atari games from this era, if you will. But getting into the game itself, I got to say this. Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters would not have existed without Xenophobe. Really? Why do you say that? Yeah. Because it's, though, the game just made me think so much of Zeb... No. Xenophobe. The game made me so... Shut of a plah. The game made me think so much of Xenophobe. Because it's kind of the same thing. You're going around on... I mean, yeah, it's a planet, but I th- and Xenophobe, I think, is what, a spaceship or something? But you're going around yeah. a planet. You have to like rescue something. Well, yeah, but Xenophobe and- isn't just a spaceship. I mean, you do get on planets and other things, too. So oh, that's true. It's, it's a total varied... Um- that's true. And your job in... Um, what the hell's the name of this? Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters is you have to rescue Professor Sarah Bellum. Ha, I see what they did there. <laughs> that is a Colinian pun name if ever i heard one and that's actually a very good pun i think it's not one i've ever heard before yeah and here's another here's another connection xenophobe the characters and things and possibly the overall design and gameplay concept was by brian f colin Mm -hmm. here's a connection here at the beginning of the game your mission is explained to you by a guy who looks like colin mockery oh okay oh you're stretching colin Yes. Yeah. Although to be yeah. perfectly to be perfectly fair, does kind of remind me of the um, the female scientist uh, introducing introducing each round in Rampage World Tour. Huh. Interesting. Oh um, man, I need I need to spend quality time with Rampage World Tour. I've I love hardly that game. played that. I love that game. Is, I like I, I like Rampage, but I love World Tour a lot more. But we can get to that at some point. But um, I do have to disagree with you. I think this game is more like Berserk than xenophobe really yeah because you're fighting robots and there's one particular robot that reminds me of the robots from berserk Hmm. i I think it's the most common robot too but do please continue tell us more about the game oh well thank you well about the game uh you the player are playing as either jake or duke and your job of course is to rescue cerebellum from the planet x such virile uh, names like drake tungsten and what's jake's last name i don't know Neither do I. From State Farm. Hmm. Should that be something that Hyde cuts out? Yes, please. Okay. And her research facility has been taken over by the evil reptilons, I think it's pronounced. Yeah, because the- It's uh, either reptilons or reptilians. No, it's reptilons. Okay. Because that's what the voice says in the game. Oh, yes, you're right. You're right. And yeah, it's it's kind of, it, I guess it is kind of berserky in, in a way, but there's a lot berserky. more to it. Oh, by the way, it's in, those of you who've never played this game and never seen it, you're moving in an isometrically laid out kind of play space. It kind of looks like Zaxxon, except you're walking around instead of flying and you can move in any direction you want. And it's fun. And it's actually um, almost playable, almost playable. But while you are going around shooting robots, I I almost said shooting Roberts, but no, you're shooting robots and trying to, trying to rescue uh, Dr. Bellum as it were, uh, there are going to be some slaves that you can rescue for 500 points a pop. And you rescue them simply by walking over to them and making contact with them. I almost want to say that this game is closer to uh, gauntlet and the, can you shoot your own people in gauntlet? Yeah, but they don't, 
The worst it does in Gauntlet is um, stuns you in some levels. Ah, okay. Because you can actually shoot the hostages in this game. You can I think shoot you can the shoot, slaves. Now, this is, a, this is a two-player at the same time game, as you had mentioned. I think you can shoot a I didn't s- mention it, but yes, you're correct. I thought you did mention it. No. Because you mentioned there were two players you could be, so... I mentioned there were two players you could be. Okay, yeah, but you didn't say, but... But, it but is, you can it, you shoot... You can make it... I th- yeah. yeah, I think you can shoot your other the other player, but I think it only stuns the other player. I don't remember off the top of my head. Oh, yeah, the other player, but you can shoot the slaves. Yeah. And I think one shot, it stuns them. Two shots, you kill them. I love... The, okay, getting this out of the way right now. This game is basically a throwback to, like, 50s sci-fi comics, whatever. It's got that whole feel. Yeah. And it's got... Yeah, this in game fact, got one a, of the flyers is actually done in the style of a comic exactly. book. Exactly. But the reason I'm, I'm getting at that is this game has so many great little whimsical touches in it. Like when you shoot, accidentally shoot one of the uh, one of the slaves, their like eyes go all wide and they turn like uh, the color of ash. Like you know, they were like just on fire or something. It's kind of like a Chuck Jones animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a Wiley e. Coyote sort of a feel to it. Yeah, like when he gets blown up by something. Yeah, and um, so yeah, that's not going to be the last of the uh, last of the cutesy touches we're going to talk about with this game. Yeah, and uh, all throughout Planet X, there are going to be some like cabinets compartments lockers and things that you can shoot open and something will be inside like maybe there will be uh, other hostages that you can rescue or food and by the way i tried it you cannot shoot the food in this game well you can but nothing happens don't to shoot it. the food badly badly and if you eat the food you get energy because you get do get a certain amount of energy by the way, when you shoot a robot, the robot leaves behind a gem, and if you collect a gem, it supposedly boosts your laser gun power. You have to pick up a lot of gems for that. You must, because I picked up a whole shit ton of them. It does work. And and I've seen the thing fill up, and I've noticed no difference whatsoever. Oh, I have definitely noticed a difference. Mm. I have, but you, it takes a lot of them to fill your gun up, and I believe your gun firepower power-up, such as it is, does decrease at a steady rate too. So you got to keep collecting gems if you want your yeah. gun, the gun power to be effective at that level. And you also got to keep moving it all. You also got to keep moving period, because if you don't, then there's going to be this little tracking orb that comes out of nowhere oh God. and starts shooting at you. And I can't I shoot the things. damn thing down. Even I tried even ducking, by the way, there are three different buttons you can choose, uh, or choose you, you have them, whether you choose them or not, there are three buttons on the control panel. They're arranged in a triangle. There is a uh, fire button. There's a jump button. There's a duck button. And sometimes you have to use that duck button to get out of the way. Sometimes wait, wait, you have the to what kind of a button? Duck. And sometimes you have to use the duck button to shoot things that are too low for you to shoot otherwise. And uh, it's, it's, man, juggling those three buttons. And by the way, the control panel, while I'm at it, also has a left-handed joystick. So each player has his and or her own left-handed joystick and three buttons so uh yeah oh one and, other thing about um, the joystick i believe this is one of those another one of those like analog joysticks like it's uh, not really an analog joystick i don't think because it you, is a, it, i've noticed if you're like kneeling and you're shooting things around and you move the joystick yeah. around in a circle it like sprays like in a you can get it to spray like in a perfect circle it is a 16 direction joystick oh really yeah. i thought it was an analog yeah, and it's, uh, no, it's not analog. Uh, it uses what is called the Hall effect. Okay. Uh, do you know what that is? Uh, no, but hum a few bars and I'll fake it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Hall effect mm-hmm. is there for mm-hmm. you. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. You got it now? I think I do now, yeah. Okay, good. 
the Hall effect basically, I, I don't, I don't really understand all the science behind it. So I'm going to be as brief and terse and ignorant as possible. In other but words, the way the, the joystick works is by using a technique called the Hall effect, in which I don't believe any parts of the joystick actually make any physical contact hmm. with anything. It's mm-hmm. more electromagnetic charges. Ah. And depending on which direction the joystick moves, that determines like the direction of the charge or something. And that's what uh, determines. I don't know. It just determines something. Okay. But all I can tell you is that, hey, the Hall effect was named after Edwin Hall, who discovered this in 1879 while he was working on his doctor's degree at Johns Hopkins University. And no, do not ask me because I do not know why his doctor didn't work on his own degree. But well, there you what go. are you going to do? And yeah, 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 blah, 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 blah. notes, 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 notes. Oh, by the way, another thing that might be hidden away somewhere, uh, this must be in later levels because I've never actually seen it during my own gameplay, but I've seen it on YouTube videos. Hmm. There is a flak shield and no, it has nothing to do with Rob O'Hara. Ah, I see what you did there. Yeah. See what I did there? Uh, the flak shield, the flak shield, uh, hi Rob, the flak shield protects you at least temporarily from enemy fire. So I wonder if uh, that's that's in uh, a battle with the, uh, what was it? Like the boss reptilon later on. The videos I saw it in, it wasn't during a boss battle. It was during one of those like things where there are like a billion million robots swarming you. It's been a couple of weeks. uh, Yeah. There are some extra little things going on. Like for example, on the floor you're walking around on, there may be a section of it with a flashing colored border on it. And if you touch that border, you risk losing a life. So you kind of have to jump over the border to get into the, uh, bordered off area. So you got to be aware of that. Uh, well, this is another, I guess what you might consider a cutesy thing. It is possible to walk off the edge of wherever you are. Mm -hmm. And if you do, you're going to dangle by your hands at whatever you fall off of. And you will eventually just climb up. The climbing happens automatically. I thought you had to tap the buttons to get up. If you tap the jump button, it makes it go a lot faster. Oh, that's what I'm thinking then. I've tried actually dying that way, but no, he never lets that's go. That's a great, eff- that, again, that is a great cutesy effect, but again, yeah. we're not it's done not, with them. And it's it's not just for cuteness either, but it's also, it also affects the gameplay because it kind of hampers you a little bit. A little bit. Hampers you a lot. Well, yeah, they put true, your like right true. into a huge uh, area of um, robots you're trying to get around. Yeah, and basically that's the game. And you have boss characters. Are the are the see this? It's not terribly clear to me. Uh, the the boss characters are those considered the um. I think I those are the reptilons. The reptilons, okay. Yeah, I think yeah. the reptil the bosses are considered the reptilons. And Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters is a very continue game. Oh God, yes. But you're you're missing yeah. a couple of other uh, a couple I, uh, another screen unless you haven't mentioned. I'm probably. It. I'm missing a, oh, you're, are you talking about the little mazy thing where the, you have to the fly? Sleds, you have to f- yes. The cyber yeah, sled. You have to, you have to fly a cyber yeah. sled and it's basically a labyrinth mm-hmm. and you have to maneuver the ship around so that you get to the other end. And then you, and if, oh. if you come to a dead end, you have to go back and. I do like when your, your, your ship like uh, bumps into something, the, like the nose cone of your, uh, of your ship will just kind of like crumple up and then like spring back out. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. And one thing I do like about that is as far as I can tell, it is literally impossible to lose a life during that segment. You can run out of time, but it, uh, it puts you, I think it randomly selects uh, the next stage for you. Uh, Yeah. And if you don't run out of time, I believe you select your own next stage, I think. Well, you, there's, there's, there's several landing pads you can land on whichever one you want. 
Ah, okay. Unless it's the Reptilon, which you really have no choice, but go. Yeah. Shows you how frequently I'm able to confit. Actually, the very first time I ever got that screen, I was able to get through it. Mm-hmm. But that was because I used one strategy very well. Oh. Guessing. Guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Because there are only two strategies to that. Either play it so much you memorize the patterns or you guess very well. And I happened to guess extremely well the first time I played it. And of course, I didn't remember after that. So, hey. One thing you forgot to mention about the normal forgot levels. Forgot to or didn't mention yet. Ladders and escalators? Didn't mention yet. Oh, okay. I thought you were finishing yeah. up there. So, Sean, what else do we know about this game? Well, what else do we know about the game? Uh, for those of you who never played it, uh, this is new to you. For those of you who have played it, why the hell are you listening to this? So, yeah. <laughs> this part uh. of the podcast. But <laughs> fast forward the tape or something. But, um, yeah. And uh, there are ladders that uh, you go, I mean, yeah, they're always going to be ladders. See, video games are so full of ladders. You got your Donkey Kongs, your uh, Popeyes, you got your uh, Space Panics, you got your uh, whatever. Super this is Pang. another ladder game. Super Pang, or you Buster got your Mr. Castles, you know, all yeah. those things. Burger Time. So, of course, they're going to be ladders. Burger Time. Super yeah, Burger yeah, Time. Yeah, super Burger Time. Yep. Super Duper and, Extra Deluxe Burger Time. Wait, that's not a thing. No, I think you're lying there. I don't think that one has ladders. Dang it. And kangaroo, you got your ladders. And anyway, you got ladders. You also have escalators. Perchance, how do they work? They escalate you. That's how escalators always work. Do they lift you up to where you belong? I hope so. Lift us up. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, if you want to go where the eagles... There? Where eagles fly on the mountain On a mountain. Yeah, something like that. Uh, you actually have to activate a, uh, switch. switch and those are pretty easy to find too. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you might, this, this is interesting. You get 500 points for doing that. And I don't really? know why it's because some see, of them I are, wish... is, some of those switches are in, uh, places that are not easy to get to. They're either and got like different aren't. obstacles and stuff in the but way. It doesn't but... matter. No matter where they are, you get 500 points for flipping the switch. But, hey, I mean, geez. 500 points is 500 points. So I'll take if it. If somebody were to reward me with something, whenever I turn a switch on an escalator, I'd be turning escalators on all over the damn place. One other thing I really love about this game is the mazes are so big that it's easy to get lost in. But if you they're like in an area for some amount of time, an arrow will appear on the floor directing you yeah, in the direction you have to go. Yeah, the arrows are always there practically. Like if oh, that you is true. That just is true. even slightly hesitate, there'll be an arrow all of a sudden pointing you in the right direction. Which, which is I very think helpful. Is pretty cool. And oh, by the way, what oh, what's that thing you enter when you exit the level? I was just thinking that it's like I, a, it, it's a like Vaculux a, or something. Or like, it's it, basically one of those beam me up kind of things. It's like a glass you, cone. And yeah. it's got like a curl in the cone. And at the end of the, you, you, you walk into the thing and your character just kind of gets sucked up like a silly, like a, one of those silly straws. And uh, that is probably my most favorite effect in this game. I, I do like that. I that do is like so it. very cute. Have you ever, have you gotten to the Reptilons? <laughs> to, uh, no. No. I have. No. no. Um, and you have and to do, use Oh, your... dude, t- exp- I swear this is, this happened that. I've barely made it past that first labyrinthian kind of thing. Labyrinthian. Yep. I usually lose all my lives right after that. And at least two occasions, it would not let me continue. The game just ended. I think it really? capped my continues. I was like, hey, wait a minute. Oh. I wasn't, let me finish. But So I just kind of gave up and just relied on YouTube videos. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's supposed to happen. I mean, it doesn't limit your continues until the, the very end when you get to the boss That could be just a bug in like the ROM version you were playing. It could be, but man, I wish I could plug in the uh, Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters. It's uh, on my front porch, but I can't bring in because it's too big. Yeah. So I have to resort to MAME. Yeah. 
Otherwise, I wouldn't be using MAME because, you know, it's illegal and, you know, we don't advocate, you know, copyright violation. You know, you should only use MAME if you actually own the actual arcade game. Of course. But. Oh, God, I think I'm catching your cough. Yeah. One thing about the game, like I said, I've gotten to the Reptilon through just normal play before. The one problem I have is you have to use your bombs. And I think to use your bombs, you have to press all three buttons at the same time. That sounds right. Yeah. And that I'm that is a I think that's a big design flaw, especially for creatures that you have to use the bombs on. And the reptilons take a hell of a lot of bombs to destroy. And I mm. don't think I've ever gotten past a, a one of them without cheating, which uh, might bring up again here. But um, I will say this: at the very least, they have a lot of lo- they have. Unlike most lockers on most levels, the lockers on the reptilon levels will replenish with bombs. Unlike the normal levels, so. Mm. You know, you have a never-ending supply of bombs, but then you got to go back to get them and whatever. And the Reptilon battles almost seem unfair a little bit to me, but it's such an achievement just to get to them sometimes. But Yeah, um, sometimes. I like that. Sometimes. <laughs> Somebody loves... Some, some, everybody gets to Reptilon sometime. So, well, not quite everybody. Well, sometime. Oh, and when you get to that final battle, you get a little warning. It says, and I quote, this is your last chance to add a coin. Beyond this point, you only have one chance to save Professor Cerebellum. Add coin, S in parentheses, now, and press all three buttons to buy extra lives and bombs for the final battle. Yeah. <laughs> so once you get past that screen, you can't buy any, you can't continue. It's like, one, do it once or you're not going to do it at all. One other thing about this game, unlike most arcade games in the arcade, this one has an extremely, has a, has a taller top, kind of like a Mappy and uh, I think, what was yeah. it, the Junior Pac-Man? Junior Pac-Man. So this well, is an easy machine Pac-Man, to find yeah. in the arcade. You just got to look a little higher up, and it's not a, a rectangle one either. It's like a weird shape. So it's easy to find. Yeah. That was kind of a point. Assuming thing that it's a origi- original cabinet of only, only a few hundred of those were made. Most of them were conversion kits. There were, I think, really? a thousand or something conversion kits made. Oh, wow. Yeah. To be perfectly honest with this game, the first time I ever heard about it was an actually an advertisement in, it was either ST Log or ST Format Magazine for the Atari ST version of the game. And I believe yeah. I played that first and I didn't care for it because... This game is like a smooth scrolling game. You move in a direction, whatever. And the, the, it is, the, yeah. The, with for some reason, for games like this with the Atari ST, it scrolled the screen in sections. There was a game called the Great G- uh, G- Gianna Sisters, which was a Super Mario oh, yeah. Brothers uh, clone ripoff, whatever. Yeah, they had that on the Amiga too. Right, but this one, that game is moved a section at a time, and you had to get past. In and this game did the uh, same thing. And that, that oh, kind of like Zelda. That's different because that's not just one huge, that, those are different rooms, adjoining rooms. This is like one huge play field that scrolls. It was a real disappointment playing the Atari ST version of this game. Um, really? And I'm normally pretty cool with most Atari ST games, but this one was a huge letdown. Now, that was the first time I played it. I don't remember the first time where I played the arcade game, but I want to think that may have also been Gala Lanes. Yeah, for me, it was Galloping Ghost. I know I played it at Galloping Ghost a couple of times. In fact, that's where I first heard of it. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's when the title really stuck out to me, Escape from the Planet of the Robot. How can you not like, like I said, this game immediately gets plus one continued just for the name alone. I mean, that the name alone, just the name, you know already it's going to be kind of like a B-movie. That's what they were going for, like we were mentioning earlier. It's like the B-movie, like... Boxcar Blues. Boxcar Blues, like, uh, what was it, uh, EC Comics uh, sort of Mad Magazine thing going on. And it's got that sense of humor sprinkled all throughout. 
Oh, and since you uh, talked about the Atari ST, uh, it was also available on my 16-bit computer, the Amiga. And, uh, oh, this uh, this is one of those games in which the home versions, for the Sinclair ZX Spectrum and Amstrad CPC, there were two different versions. One oh. for, well, I don't know if there were different versions per se, but different media. Mm-hmm. Each of those computers had one on floppy disks, one on cassette tape. Oh, Gotcha. And they were all made by Domart Group, except Domart. for the Amstrad cassette, which was actually made by Tengen, according to my research. Domart and may have made it, but uh, but as a Tengen release, I think Domart made a lot of releases that got, or at the very least programmed releases that were released under the Tengen brand. I think Zybots on the ST was like that. That kind of makes sense. Like they were the developer licensed by Tengen sort of, sort of thing. It could be that, could be the other way around, but I do remember both brands creating games for the 16-bit computers. Huh. And let's see, there was also a home version for the Commodore 64 and for really? MS-DOS. I didn't know there was and a 64 the, version. Neither did I. Because this the, seems like it would be too complex of a game for an 8-bit computer. You would think so, especially since the uh, arcade is a 16-bit, but hey. Uh, and there was also one for the Sam Coupe. Well, the Sinclair ZX Spectrum and Amstrad CPC and the Sam Coupe are all 8-bits, I believe. And the Sam Coupe, by the way, I think we mentioned that in one previous episode, but I didn't go. It's such a weird sounding machine. I had to get a little bit more information on it. So what I dug up was that uh, unofficially the Sam Coupe was kind of, sort of a ZX Spectrum clone, Mm -hmm. but there actually was a version of Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters that was specifically meant for the Sam Coupe. And uh, as for where that name comes from, Sam Coupe, Depending on whom you ask, SAM is an acronym for some amazing micro or some amazing uh-huh. machine. And the coupe part comes from a dessert called ice cream coupe, which is kind of a twee little well, ice cream concoction with mm-hmm. like fancy little crap in it. A toupee? Uh, Wait, no, no. And apparently also because the machine resembles a racing car from the side uh, with the feet on the computer resembling wheels. And if you look at one of those things really, really quickly, you can almost see it, but it's kind of a stretch. But at the same time, that a car is not a coupe, it's a coupe. So I don't yeah, know where they're getting scoop. that from. Exactly. You don't yeah. know what you know. Yeah, yeah they, know, they know the song. Yes, please. Thank you. I don't, uh, so that's why I'm singing. I'm trying to remember. I just uh, did a, took a quick look here on um, YouTube of the C64 uh, version. It actually looks pretty good. Uh, obviously the characters are smaller and all that, but, um, but yeah, it looks really good. It almost looks like it runs better than the Atari ST version. Huh. And I did see here that you, I guess, at least on this one, you can shoot the reptilons. It's just that the bombs make it faster to do. So I'm going to have to go through and play again and see at the reptilons, um, yeah. to see if I can do that. So, Hey, why not? I tried to see how the scoring works in Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters. Oh. It's really, really complicated. A game like this, it's not even worth going into. Yeah. All I could determine was that well, one of those regular robot thingies, you get 200 points. Uh, one of those big red robot thingies, as it says in my notes, 1,500 points. 500 for rescuing a slave. Uh, if you destroy a reptilon, it's 5,000 points. And uh, I was able to determine that if you finish the game, you get a thousand points for each unused bomb. And there are other bonus counters at the end of the game too, but um, whatever. A, a few things I want to say here. The one robot, it's kind of like an orange one. It looks like a half oval with like a face on it. It's like flat. Yeah. That yeah. I think is one of my favorite enemies in video game history. I just love the way that really? that thing looks, the way it walks. And it's got the little arms kind of like, uh, what's the robot from, uh, lost in space. Um, 
I can't think of it, but he's got like the... You're talking to somebody who doesn't like sci-fi. Yeah. So. He's got the warning, warning, danger Will Robinson sort of arms that look like uh, something the, that look like something you get in your local uh, HVAC store. You know, like the, the round yeah. metal tubes with the with the spring in it, kind of like sort of thing. Yeah. And I love that. I think uh, th- that's one of my all-time favorite video game enemies. Ooh, you know what? That's not a bad idea for a special episode. Huh? Favorite arcade video game enemies. Yeah, it's been done before, though, hasn't it? Oh, I'm sure it has. You know what? It has I been done before, Super Podcast Brothers. Hey, there we go. There we go. So we'll find that episode, and you can listen to it. Uh, Andy, Tim, which episode was it? So we can link it in the show notes. All right. And hey, speaking of scores, uh, let's talk about the highest scores that I was able to, to determine on record. Uh, Orcade.com, again, A-U-R-C-A-D-E. Mozzie Hagopian uh, has that high score at 253,600. And that was performed during American Horror Scoring 4 Oh, at Galloping Ghost on October 23rd, 2017. How come I didn't even know about that? I don't know. Apparently there were four of those things, and I didn't hear of either one of them. And Doc usually screams from the mountaintops when he's got some kind of event going on or some kind of tournament. Maybe we didn't turn our monitor on that day. Could be, know. could be. And the Twin Galaxies high is uh, by Daniel Larson, who scored a million five hundred ninety-one thousand one hundred thirty-one, and that was verified on May eleventh, two thousand seventeen, via the Twin Galaxies scoring and adjudication process. So, two thousand seventeen was a good year to get a high score on Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters. Was a very good year. Well, well, I just brought things to a screeching halt, didn't I? Yep, yep, yep. So you're, I bet you're wondering to yourself, Jim. No. What does Jim think about the game? I wasn't wondering at all. I'm oh. just counting the minutes down till I can go take a nap. Yeah, me too. I really need to take a nap before I go to bed. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, interesting. A pre-bed nap. Yeah. So, well, you know what? I'm going to give my rating for the game. Um, oh, do tell. I'm going to give this game a four. The game gets a plus one continue automatically for the title <laughs> alone, which means that without the title, the game gets a three. Well... Why would it get a three? Is I turned the cheats on as I am wont to do, and I made it all the way through the end of the game. And this has got, other than congratulations or whatever, the most anticlimactic end of any game I've ever played. What? It's against weather? Yes. Anticlimactic. Huh. Uh, it's also anticlimactic as well. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, so. Well, I mean, maybe it doesn't really help. affect the gameplay. Okay, but. well, maybe this will help make things more exciting. Did you know there's a there, did you know there's a hidden message in the game? That I didn't. Yeah, it says hi, Lisa, Robin, mom, ampersand, dad. Oh, how do you get it's, that? Uh, you can't. I don't know if or you can actually display that anywhere. It's kind of buried in the code. Mm. Nobody knows for sure which developer it is. It could be Ed Log. I think he was one of the developers of this game, which would make sense. I did a, I did I, I just got kind of lazy and I looked under Facebook for Lisa Log, Robin Log, and uh, I wasn't able to come up with anything definitive. So yeah, you got that going for you, sure or you do. don't actually. In the uh, as the case is, so that uh, is, that's really here. my thought on Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters. Except my no, Ed Log had nothing to do with this game. Oh okay, uh, yeah. it does list Zybots Gauntlet and Gauntlet Two, but not this game. Oh, he was involved with Atari football. Oh, nice. Oh, another game I really want to get to. We've already talked about that in a theme for yeah. it as well. Yeah. So anyway, my my rating for this also three continues. 
out of five. Okay. When I first played this game, I wasn't too thrilled with it because it seemed too bullet hell-y. Like, it was too yeah. easy to get surrounded mm-hmm. and all that. But I th- I found with a couple of uh, plays, you can figure out a way around that. So maybe it's not all that bad. I think bad, the key, but... one of the keys to mastering this game is getting good control over uh, over ducking. Ducking, sh- yeah. shooting, and moving. Yeah. That is like the inter- most integral part of, the most. I think, the most important part of the gameplay because you got some enemies like these little carts that come around shooting at you at uh, knee level and you have to duck to shoot those. You can pretty much kill everything when you're ducking. However, you can't move anything but in a circle when you're ducking. Yeah, when which you means do that, that the that tracking a, orb will come out. Which, yeah, the uh, when you're ducking, the orbs come out and whatever, it, but you can only stay in one place. You can't move while ducking. It's sort of like yeah. maybe like building a fortification. You can just like get your gun going boom, 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 and wiping everything out. Yeah, if only I were as good at ducking as my phone's autocorrect is. Whoa, exactly. So I knew where you're going with that. So you can rate this a three also. So that's good. Yeah, yeah I think so. I, th- I could, for both Zybots and Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters, I am possibly able to be pushed over the edge to a four, given enough time. I think but at the same time, though, I can't see myself gravitating toward either one of these games no, I'll give when there are other games available. I'll give you that. Like if I see Zybots and, and honestly, even though I said Zybots was like berserk and I was like, this is really cool. I kind of like this. If I see Zybots and berserk, I'm going to play berserk. Yeah. Yeah. If I was going to see this in uh, say, say frenzy, I'd probably gravitate toward frenzy first. And if I were to see Zybots and lunar lander, I would play Zybots and nothing else. So, but yeah. be fair, if there was a whole pile of dog crap in Lunar Lander, you'd be playing in the dog crap. I would be playing in the dog crap. Yeah. So Because it means there's a dog somewhere, too. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Puppies versus poop. And who doesn't love playing with a dog? That is true. So, yeah, yeah. I have yeah. said my piece on Escape from the Planet of oh, cool. the Robot so, Monsters. So, I think we should probably reveal the theme, then. Yes, please do. Theme of this game is these are games that are basically futuristic three-dimensional clones of Gauntlet. We had mentioned before that mm. uh, that Zybots was considered Gauntlet 3 in development, and Gauntlet, Gauntlet 2, and Gauntlet 3 were all created by Ed Log. And if you think about it, Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters is basically the same thing, just in a three-quarters perspective, or axoniometric, or however they call it. You know, the game, the, the perspective they used in Gauntlet, or Gauntlet, in, uh, ah! Zaxxon. So, yeah, Zaxxon. So they're, they're basically the same thing as Gauntlet. They're, the graphics are spiffed up, but uh, especially Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters with the number of enemies it throws at you. It's easily Gauntlet-ish if you look at it that way. It's Gauntlicious. <laughs> it's Gauntlicious, the Pie Factory podcast. Oh, that should be our new slogan. It's Gauntlicious. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, so now oh, we got should the unveil made that. Dang it. We should, yeah, we should unveil that at Midwest Gaming Classic. It's Gauntlicious. Yeah, replace that winner of the 2015 yeah. Golden Potty. Yeah, I could put some black tape over that and just write, it's Gauntlicious. It's gauntlicious. Mm. <laughs> Even though we haven't talked about Gauntlet in a long time, but still. So, hey. yeah. So there we go. Yeah. I'll let her open. So, oh, no, no, no. There you hide, have it. Hide, please get rid of that one. Oh, come on. You're making yeah. hide work overtime. You think he likes you already? Oh, he already might be escaping us. So, I don't, did, you, did you see he might be moving to Colorado? No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I don't know what that's about. I, I don't know. I think I think his family lives out there. Really? I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. I thought he was like French. 
he did live like in the New Orleans area, or he went to school. I don't know something about. He's there. a Cajun. Okay, that's hmm. what it is. He's a yeah, Cajun. He's a Cajun. Hey. I guarantee. So, um, I should thank some of our, yes. our all of our Patreon sponsors. Yeah, don't actually. think just some of them. Think all. Yeah, think I was all actually trying. I was actually trying to arrange their names so that if you read down, it spells sardines, but I couldn't. So I have to go to like the closest I could get. So sardines. thank you to Steve Steiner, Art Guglielmo, Richard Valdez, D. Alex, Underground Retrocade, Nate Lockhart, Atari Bites, Greg Polander, Jonas Rulo, Kyle Etter, PJ Steele, New Balance Stores, Phoenix, Michael D'Angelo, Rory Coleman, Tim Foley, Keith Sheehan, and Richard Grounds, thank you so thank much you for all. sponsoring us via patreon.com slash pie factory podcast. And if you'd like to hear your name thanked as well, then please do also, um, throw us a few bucks or less or more every month via patreon.com so we can keep this podcast alive. And, and you'll be happy to know equipment. that we are no longer spending our Patreon funds on hookers and blow. We're spending them on stri- right, seriously. We're spending them strictly on cheeseburgers now. Ah, uh, cheeseburgers. Yeah. yeah. I'm a sucker for but, a good cheeseburger. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, oh, speaking of one of our Patreon sponsors, Richard Valdez, uh, mm-hmm. one of the benefits of being a Patreon sponsor is that we, we do throw out some perks now and then. I think we had a contest or two that was just for Patreon sponsors. Another little thing that we threw out to our Patreon folks is that you would get to designate two games for us to cover in a future episode. And we, Jimmy G and I- Hello would have to come up with a theme, like what ties the two together. And theming. So for episode 94, we're going to go with Richard Valdez's suggestion of Punch-Out and League Bowling. What's the theme? Nobody knows. I don't even know if Richard knows. He might. He might have something in mind. I don't know. But we have the to, factory. We have to identify the common theme between those two. Punch-Out and League Bowling. So, yeah. They are both games that were in arcades sometimes, probably in the same arcade at once. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's a thing. And if you um, initialize both of those games, it spells blop backwards. Ooh, or forwards, it would be pulb. Yeah, but I like blop better. <laughs> Pie Factory, bring in the blop. Yeah, so. Well, I think that's it. That's it. That's it. That's Pie Factory Podcast for, uh, that's episode 93. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. Here at Pie Factory Headquarters North in Chicago, this is Sean. And you got your old Jimmy G here down here way outside the Chicago Metropolitan Statistical Area. Atari Games. Ooh. This episode of the Pie Factory Podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at Patreon.com slash PieFactoryPodcast. Isn't that convenient? Uh, yeah, here you go. Sounds like if what, what SpongeBob SquarePants like mishmashed uh, different church lady sayings. Ah, <laughs> oh, oh, Squidward! Oh, Squidward! That's convenient. I'm not doing the whole voice thing. By no, you're not. Not okay. So, oh, I'm telling you, you are not. Oh, okay. we're here to do a High Factory podcast. Oh gosh, have you seen the the latest on the uh, the Atari VCS thread on Atari Age? Oh, Jesus. It's time for another edition of 
everything we know about the Atari box. They just got on a stock exchange in Sweden or Norway, and so they had to issue a prospectus. Holy, they basically uh, all but admitted that they're patent trolls. God. You, it's... This has been another edition of... Happy Time. Everything we know about the Atari box.